Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our 2.30 service as we uh, dive into this big topic on marriage, husband and wife, roles in marriage. And as we look at this um, topic, I'm aware that, of course, there are singles in the house this afternoon. There are also married couples here, and there are also those who are preparing for marriage. And so uh, everybody might be on, on a different journey But we're going to dive straight into this topic today, husband and wife, roles in marriage. You know, today, if you were to ask what a Christian marriage is, people will probably tell you all kinds of things. Uh, If I was to put the question out to you, define what a Christian marriage is, or what is your understanding of a a Christian marriage, people will say all kinds of different things, and they might be, of course, molded and shaped by their own experiences, whether those are good ones or those are are bad ones. But I just want to lay it out just before you today, something that the simple kind of view of of Christian marriage is this, is that it's not just a a, a binding legal or, or social contract. A Christian understands marriage as a covenant that's made under God, amen? It's made under Him, and so it's more than just a legal contract, it's holy. It's holy before the Lord, and so the earliest recording in the Bible of of marriage is is found in Genesis 2, verse 18. Come with me there, quickly, Genesis 2, verse 18. We're going to be looking at quite a number of scriptures today, so if you've got your Bibles, that'll be great. Genesis 2, verse 18, where the Lord said, it is not good for a man to be alone. And the men said, Amen. I will make him a helper, a partner that's suitable for him. And so in other words, Adam didn't take a wife. He received one from the Lord. When Adam first saw Eve, he probably said, Wow. Well, he didn't say that, but Genesis 2.23 says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Probably, uh, probably something that made sense back then. If we said that to somebody now, they might look at us a little bit strange. But bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, as a, a Genesis 2.23 is a reference there. And so it, it was God who invented marriage. Right from the beginning, it was God's first established institution on earth, established even before government, way before anything else. And so in other words, God loves marriage. God loves family. And it's created to be enjoyed. And every married couple said... Amen. Not too many strong amens there. But hey, it was created to be enjoyed. And so it's not to be looked at something that is temporary. This is a commitment to one another. It's precious in God's sight. And because it was his idea in the first place, God's got a lot of wisdom to give about the whole way marriage works, how to maintain a marriage relationship. The truth is today is that we, we live in an age where the sanctity and the value of of marriage is being undermined wherever you look. Whatever country you might go to, marriage is being undermined. And that's why it's important for us, first of all, to, of course, be looking at these scriptures to get a a firm understanding of what a Christian marriage actually is defined like in the Bible. So, in other words, we go to the Bible. Amen? We go to the Word to understand what marriage is. We certainly don't allow the world to mold and shape our understanding of what marriage is or allow the world to, to, conform, you know, to shape our understanding of what it is. God's Word is, is, is a window to the mind of the Lord. 
And so marriage was his idea. Family was his idea. And so he gives wisdom on important things in marriage. What, what are some of those things? Maybe about having peace and harmony in the marriage. How many know that's a big one? Uh, maybe other things to do with finances. Handling finances is one of the biggest things that sometimes married couples are under strain is the area of finances and, uh, and money. And so all this is important because when a couple enter into a marriage, there might be all kinds of different expectations and presumptions that couples have of what marriage should uh, look like. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how when anybody's into a, in a relationship, there can be all kinds of different expectations of what that relationship should look like. And usually that's actually been shaped by family backgrounds. Um, has the mother, for example, or father been the dominant personality in that family or relationship? Uh, have you come from a single parent family? All these kind of things can shape your understanding of a relationship. But what makes a Christian marriage or a biblical marriage unique from any other marriage is that it's built on the Word. Amen. It's built on Jesus Christ. Someone said this. They said, marriage is a total commitment of two people to the person of Jesus Christ and to each other. It's a commitment of two people to the person of Jesus Christ and to each other. And so in other words, Christ is the foundation. He's the one, he's the, the rock on which you build upon. Um, he's the one, of course, who is the foundation, the cornerstone on which this whole marriage relationship is being constructed. Someone uh, likened marriage to a lifelong building project. And so Christ is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And so when a couple, for example, are committed to a a Christian uh, uh, marriage, when they're committed to Jesus Christ and to the Word, they should actually benefit uh, or should enjoy some uh, many advantages over those who don't actually have any spiritual input. And so, unfortunately, today many marriages are, uh, you know, they go wrong or they might be uh, in trouble because they have weak foundations. And so cracks start to appear in this building project that they're working on together because they're not necessarily building on the teachings of Jesus or on the New Testament and what Paul the Apostle taught. Jesus said, a wise man builds his house on the, on the, on the rock, on the solid rock. In fact, Matthew 7.24 Matthew 7, says this, And even though the rains come and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse. Why? Because it is built on solid rock. But a foolish man builds his house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will fall with a mighty crash. And so when a marriage is founded on Jesus as the solid rock, that means that it can withstand some of the storms that might actually come into a relationship. And of course, this scripture applies to all different areas pertaining to our, our walk with God, but certainly it applies to marriage. We're to build on the rock. And so the thing that we can take comfort from and, and, and encouragement from today is that Jesus is, is very passionate about ensuring the success of marriage. Amen? He's interested in marriage. He has a very high view of, of marriage. And I think it's very significant that Jesus chose a wedding to do his first ever miracle. The first display of God's glory and uh, the glory that was flowing through Jesus' life was shown at a wedding. 
And so in the Gospels, we read that Jesus was invited to this wedding, to this couple. And uh, this uh, couple were going to be very glad that they invited Jesus to their wedding because he was about to save the day. Uh, it was a good idea, of course, to invite Jesus to your wedding. And you remember the story that, that the couple, they ran into a little bit of a crisis. And what was this crisis? They ran out of wine. And so Jesus had already traveled two days by foot. And so, of course, he was very keen to get to this wedding. They didn't have trains, planes, and cars, any kind of automobiles back then. Everybody had to walk on foot. And so Jesus was coming to this wedding. And anyway, he saves this couple from embarrassment and turns this water into wine. And this was no small amount of wine either. This was about 150 gallons of wine. I mean, no, that's quite a lot of wine. In other words, Jesus knows how to throw a party. Amen. But he showed his first display of glory first at a wedding. I think that's very significant. He places a very high value on, on weddings and marriage. Matthew, uh, no, sorry, Mark 10. Come with me there. Here are the words of Jesus Christ uh, recorded by, by Mark. Mark 10, verses 7 to 8. Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and he'll be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. He also said in Matthew 19, verse 6. Matthew 19, verse 6. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And so this shows that Jesus, just those two verses show that Jesus had a, a really high view of marriage. Now, throughout the Bible, the, the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife is used as like a metaphor for between Christ and the church. Between Christ and the church. So Paul the Apostle, he, he relates marriage to, to Jesus and his bride. Who is the bride? That's the church. That's Jesus' body. And so it describes Jesus as the one who is the ultimate giver. He's the one who has paid the ultimate sacrifice for his bride. He is the one who has sacrificed himself for her. He's given himself up for her, for his church. And so the, the apostle's teaching is that we can only truly understand the relationship between husband and wife when we understand the doctrine between the relationship between Christ and the church, or Christ and his bride. And so we're encouraged by Paul to, 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 that our whole idea of marriage is supposed to be a positive one. Amen. Not a negative one. No matter how long you may be married before, but it's supposed to be a positive one. Why? Because it's compared and it's elevated to this position of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. How many know that's a high level? That's a high metaphor example. And so a Christian's view of marriage is supposed to be a positive one. And so that means it was intended to last. It's something that we must think of in terms of the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. And so the question right there is for all those who are married already, the question is, does my married life correspond to that relationship? Uh, it, how is it, is it manifesting that? Is it governed by that? Is it governed by this heavenly pattern to this glorious pattern of Christ and the church? And so uh, the marriage of, of Christians should be one that gets more wonderful. A married couple said... Amen. <laughs> it must be the one that gets more glorious when we consider the relationship between Christ and his church. And so the Christian marriage is one that continues to grow. It continues to increase. It develops. For example, when we're born again, when we get saved, Christ comes into our life. And, and of course, from that point, we grow. Amen. 
We increase, we mature. Well, Paul is saying that this is the same picture of what marriage is supposed to be like. It increases, it matures. So we're looking today at the, the roles of husband and wife. And now in case you hadn't noticed already, man and woman have been created differently. They have been designed differently. They are wired differently. Anybody notice that? Yes? Not too many of you? They have been created different. God didn't create the man the same as the woman. In in other words, marriage involves two people with two different backgrounds, different personalities, different uh, views, different opinions, uh, different interests perhaps, but they're joined together for for the rest of their, their lives. And so added to this... It's the, the basic, you know, selfishness of human nature, the desire in every one of us uh, to have our way, my rights, my views, uh, uh, my own interests. And sometimes in a marriage relationship, it might be true to say that marriage helps you discover more about yourself than it does about your wife. Martin Luther said this, there are two ways of becoming less selfish and more like Jesus Christ. The first was to enter a monastery. The second is is to embark upon marriage. But when we consider roles and responsibilities within marriage, one thing that we must consider first is your differences. Or let's call it your uniquenesses. Uh, God has made you different to each other. For example, if we all had the same views as as our partners, you know, marriage would probably be pretty boring, wouldn't it? Be pretty dull. Some have referred uh, to marriage um, as like teamwork. In effective teams, people contribute their different gifts for the benefit of everyone. But, I mean, just imagine a football team that had all defenders. Or a football team that had all strikers. Or maybe related to business. And everybody thinks they're a visionary, but nobody's actually interested in the details. Well, how many know that wouldn't work? That wouldn't work in that kind of setting. And so what people might find in effective relationships is that they have a, a different giftings and qualities that the other doesn't have. And so the important thing is to see that as a positive thing and not to try and make the other try to look like you and to sound like you. Amen? And so you were made different to your spouse. God made them in his image, not yours. And so you have a different personality to them, but both personalities are to be those personalities that complement one another, not to compete with each other, but to complete one another's. And so differences are good. Turn to your neighbor and say, differences are good. Hmm. Differences are good. You have uniquenesses. You're not both the same. That's a good thing. And so that's when you start to actually figure out how partnership actually works, because you've got different skill sets that they don't have, and they've got skill sets that you don't have. Differences are a good thing. And so we're going to be looking at a key portion of Scripture in Ephesians and use these to, you know, to really solidify um, our understanding of roles in marriage. Come with me now to, to Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, verse 22. And if they can put it on the screen, that'll be even better. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33. Okay, here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head 
of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Verse 30, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Why does Paul include a healthy portion of Scripture to marriage? Well, he doesn't want people to have a warped understanding of what a marriage relationship looks like. He wants people to have a healthy and realistic view of what it looks like. And for those who are single and preparing to go into marriage, this is a very healthy thing for us. Uh, I would encourage you to look at this consistently, this portion of Scripture, as you're preparing for marriage. So here in these verses, we discover, especially in verse 33, right at the end there, uh, the Apostle Paul's unbeatable winning combination for a healthy marriage. And so described, of course, nearly 2,000 years ago, and it hangs on two main things this portion of Scripture, love and respect. Everybody say it together. Love and respect. Let's say it one more time. Love and respect. The way to make a relationship, marriage relationship work, according to the New Testament teaching uh, of Paul, is love and respect. According to Paul, this was an unbeatable combination. And so someone said, you know, if, if marriages are made in heaven, man has to be responsible for the maintenance. And so the Bible requires that there are two things in place in a marriage relationship, love and respect. And so in marriage, it's important that you understand that both of you have been designed with different needs. Men and women have different needs from one another. They are wired differently. Both man and woman are designed with maybe different psychological needs. Uh, when reduced to the base, basics, it's a very big generalization here, but we might say from this portion of Scripture that women may need men to be romantic, uh, caring, and loving. And every woman said, Amen. Men may need women to be respectful, supportive, and loyal. And the men said, Amen. All right. And so women need to be loved all year round, and men need to be respected. And this is what Paul is highlighting in these portions of scriptures, these 11 verses. So taking from what Paul says in Ephesians, we're going to kick off with love, okay? We're going to look at this first one, one of the two major uh, pillars for a relationship. Sometimes relationships don't necessarily always model this effectively. Listen to this story here. A man at work decided to show his wife how much he loved her. And before going home, he showered, shaved put on some good cologne, good thing to do, bought a bouquet of flowers. Yes. He went to the front door and knocked. 
His wife answered the door and exclaimed, Oh no, this has been a terrible day. First I had to take Billy to the emergency room and get stitches in his leg. Then your mother called and said she's coming for two weeks. Then the washing machine broke. And now this, you come home drunk. (laughs) Or how about this one? A man thought he had conquered the problem of trying to remember his wife's birthday and their anniversary. He opened an account with a florist, provided him with the dates of his wife's birthday and anniversary and instructions to send the flowers along with an appropriate note signed, Your Loving Husband. His wife was thrilled by this new display of attention and all was going well until one day he came home, kissed his wife and said offhandedly, Nice flowers, honey. Where did you get them? Sometimes, despite however maybe long your relationship has existed or your marriage has existed, sometimes love is not so always so evident in a relationship. The greatest book of love is the Bible. Amen? We might say that some of the greatest books of love are, are the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, where it talks about Jesus' love for his bride, for his church. And so love is a major foundation for marriage. And Paul sums up, in his beautiful description of love with these words in Corinthians. In Corinthians 13, if you want a reference, he says this, Love bears all things. It believes all things. It's not selfish. Hopes all things. Endures all things. In other words, love never gives up. Love never gives in. It holds on. You can count on it. And and so this is the type of love that you are to have for for one another. Love that can be trusted together. And so this is important because one of the causes, we might say, of failure in marriages is, is always that four-letter word, the little word called self. Self and selfishness are, we might say, some of the biggest forces in the world and that expresses my rights and my views and uh, my opinion, or in other words, who is he or who is she. Uh, self leads to trouble because if two selves come into opposition, then that's bound to bring a clash. Sometimes some relationships are more of a duel than a duet. That wasn't mine. I got it from a book. And so this clashes with the whole idea of marriage, according to Paul. The Bible says, in marriage, the two have become one. One what? One flesh. So they're no longer two. They're one. And so this is seen in Genesis where we see, of course, where God says he actually took from man to make woman. It became one flesh. And so Jesus also spoke of this in the Gospels. And now Paul is building on this this whole idea again. Paul highlights in verse 28. uh, Come with me to chapter 5, verse 28 in Ephesians again. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. Sometimes we, we might hear the term when husband or wife might actually refer to each other as their better half. You heard that before? Well, Paul is saying exactly the same thing. The, there, the, there are two halves that come together. In marriage, the husband, of course, is not one who, who, who thinks individualistically. He's not thinking of himself. That's not possible in marriage, according to Paul, because he that loves his wife loves himself. And so in his thinking, he must include his wife. He, he must not think of himself in isolation in any way. He's not detached in any way. Uh, what he does involves the other half, and that's his 
wife. That means that they are both joined in their desires. They're both joined in their direction and where they're heading. And so neither is the wife or the husband to be selfish or to consider, but to consider one another first. And so the husband and, and the wife are not to neglect each other either. A married man must not necessarily think of himself as a single man anymore. Now the two have been joined together. There's two halves have come together. They're involved together. And this, I guess, you know, we're not, not going to look at this in a, in a big way, but this addresses the whole idea of unity. Paul talks about this in some other scriptures, is that unity is a central principle in marriage, in a relationship. Paul says unity is the key. How to, of course, maintain unity. And so before a man or woman get married, their loyalties are first of all, of course, to their parents. But then when they get married, that's no longer the case anymore. Their loyalties are to one another. Amen? They're joined together. Think of one another first. It's a sacred bond together. Come to verses 28 and 29 with me. We're just going to read through some of these verses. Verse 29, 28 and 29. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. Now here it is next. No man ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does his church. What's this saying? The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who nourishes us and cherishes us. That's what he's doing with us all the time. He's always nourishing us and cherishing us. But now Paul's saying that this is, uh, says a husband should behave towards his wife in the same way. Scripture says a man does not hate his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it. How? Well, what does the body need? What does a man need in his own body? Well, he needs a good diet. Amen? A man needs to have a healthy diet. A man has to think about his diet. He has to think about his food. And so this is not a fitness session, by the way. But a man has to think about his diet when he's thinking about his body. He has to think about what he's eating. He has to think about, you know, the, the, the calories and the fat. And, of course, we want to get rid of the fat before we get married. And, and so he has to think about all these things, carbohydrates, fat, proteins, vitamins, all these different things. And so Paul is saying this, that the man should be thinking about what will help his wife. That's what Paul is saying here. What will strengthen his wife? The husband uh, should be thinking about what pleases her. Uh, what gives her pleasure and enjoyment? What does she like? Uh, what does she enjoy? And every woman said, Amen. And so this is the apostolic teaching of Paul. Also, if we were to take the analogy further uh, of the body, we might highlight exercise. How many know exercise is important for the body? Yes, okay. Sounds like some of us need to get fit. Anyway, exercise for the body is essential. And so exercise is essential for the marriage. Exercise like talking. BT says it's good to talk. Amen. Exercise like talking. Exercise of conversation. Exercising communication enhances a relationship. And so in other words, conversation should not stop in a marriage after two years. This is sometimes statistically, that's after the two-year mark, that's when kind of communication might start to break down. But communication is supposed to be exercise. In other words, you talk through everything. You talk about everything in, in your lives together. Uh, an astronaut, uh, Michael Collins, said this, speaking at a banquet. He quoted that the estimate that the average man speaks 25,000 words a day. And here it is. And the average woman, 30,000. Then he added, unfortunately, when I come home each day, I've spoken my 25,000. And my wife hasn't started her 30,000. <laughs> uh. <laughs> And so in marriage, you talk, 
You talk through your business. You talk through your worries. You talk everything through. After all, you're in this together. This is how uh, Paul is saying a relationship works with husband and wife. The relationship develops in this way. But what about protection? Um, Paul talks about this body. Yes, it needs food. Yes, it needs exercise. But what about protection? Uh, uh, Every man needs to understand his own body. Amen? And so what are the weaknesses in his body that he has to look out for? This is what Paul is highlighting. Our bodies are subject to different things. Sometimes our bodies might be subject to the cold, like this morning. With the rain, it might be subject to different kind of viruses or maybe, you know, different kind of infections. So what does a wise man do? He takes care of these things. He puts on maybe, you know, a heavy coat during winter. He gets, you know, fully clothed. And, and so he, he refrains perhaps from doing certain things with his body. And so in a relationship, both of you may have weaknesses. Both of you, of course, are not perfect. Well, let's not call them weaknesses. Let's call them special characteristics. That's a better one. After all, you didn't marry a perfect person. There are weaknesses on both sides. And so what is your response to those in your partner? Do you get irritated or do you get annoyed? Paul says, act as you would towards your own body. Interesting, isn't it? Help and protect them if they have a slight tendency to to worry or safeguard her from weaknesses and infirmities and, and, and frailties, etc., etc. In the body, there, there may be great infections that can come, fevers and, and even illnesses and different things. The same is true, of course, in the married life. Sometimes there are, there are troubles, there are tribulations, there are trials which are going to test the marriage relationship. They're going to put pressure on the marriage relationship. And so what do you do about these? Well, Paul says, what do you do with your body? When you get that illness, that flu or that temperature, you put yourself to bed. You put yourself on the best diet. You do everything you can to treat the fever to help your body resist it. And so men are to love their wives as their own bodies. Amen? If there is some kind of test maybe your spouse is, is going through, then Paul says, go out of your way to protect your wife. To help her and to aid her to bring back happiness and vigor and strength. And, and so this is, means, of course, building, building her up. Moving on with this theme of love. Colossians 3.19. Come with me quickly there, please. Colossians 3.19. These are definitely references I encourage you to, to keep on looking at. Colossians 3.19. Short portion of Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against them. What's this saying? Well, Paul's saying this, that the danger of a husband uh, is to become bitter. Now, that word translated uh, means to be harsh or or crushing or even domineering. And so, now you need to understand, of course, when when Paul was saying these statements, these were huge statements that he was proclaiming to the New Testament church. Why? Because when you read about the pagan view of marriage back then, and especially the typical attitude of husbands towards wives, uh, this was revolutionary teaching. Revolutionary teaching that Paul was bringing. Sometimes we, we read it and we hear it, we think, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard that a lot of times. But this was revolutionary teaching to the people, to the church back then. Wives were virtually nothing but slaves. And so husbands were generally guilty sometimes of being harsh and being domineering. But when this Christian message came comes through, the whole idea of marriage was being transformed. Hallelujah. 
And so even in, in, in areas like marriage, the Christian faith was conquering the world in the first century. And so nothing like this, of course, had been taught before. People hadn't heard these teachings. People and married couples were living this new kind of life towards one another. And so this was helping actually spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Isn't that powerful? And so this was one way in which the gospel was being promoted through a a whole transformed idea of what marriage is. This is one way of the gospel that was spreading. And so people's ideas of marriage were changing. In other words, the world was attracted by it. The world saw that the way the, the husband and wife were treating each other, and they're thinking, what is all that about? I've never seen that before. It got their attention. But it was helping spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul seems to be saying is this, that there is no greater, and catch this, that there's no greater recommendation to the truth and the power of the Christian faith and a Christian husband and wife. Amen. A Christian marriage and a Christian home. This was helping revolutionize the whole early church. And so even Jesus' teaching, when we look at that, was, um, was, give, was given in an age when the wife was actually seen as inferior to the man. But what's wonderful when you look at Jesus' ministry is how he treated men and women equally. Isn't that powerful? He didn't, you know, value one over the other. And so if we follow Jesus' teaching, that means that we, of course, will be those who love and respect. Amen? And so what about um, verses 22, 23, and 24? Come with me there in Ephesians 5. So I want us to understand that this New Testament teaching was revolutionary. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Uh, So verses 22, 23, 24. Wives, submit to your husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. What's this saying? The wife must see that she submits, that she reverences or respects her husband. Another reference for you is 1 Peter 3.6. 1 Peter 3.6. It says something similar. Likewise, wives be in subjection to your own husbands. And so it's giving the same kind of idea as Paul gave as well. In other words, wives are to, to recognize this biblical and this Christian view of marriage. A wife must regard her husband as her head. Now, of course, we've already noted that they are both one. They are one flesh. They're both equally valued. But here, there is a head to the unit, just as there is a head to the body. Of course, when we look at Christ as the head of the church. And so the submission or or the respect that the wife formerly paid to her parents, she now pays towards her husband. That's what Paul is saying. The wife no longer receives instruction from her parents. She does not submit herself to them, but now she submits herself to her husband. And so Ephesians is communicating that the husband, he is the head. Um, He is the leader. He is in that position of responsibility. He's in that place of of authority. This is a function within the marriage that Paul makes very clear to us. And so he has spiritual leadership. There's one thing that, of course, is so important in a marriage relationship is that the man brings spiritual leadership. Amen? And so when it comes to, even when it comes to prayer, When it comes to family prayer, when it comes to the reading of the word, there must be spiritual leadership that the man brings into the relationship. And so that does not mean, of course, that 
that he should try and dominate uh, the, the wife when considering the wife and these things. He should, of course, be, consider and be sensitive to the wife's opinions and to her convictions. He should not override those convictions in the name of headship. He also is not supposed to exercise authority in an abusive way. It should be motivated by that four-letter word, is love. That's what a husband is to be motivated by. And so a better way of looking at it, or maybe for us to understand it better, is that the role of wives, they are called to follow their husband's loving leadership. Amen. They're called to follow their husband's loving leadership. This means that he values his wife's companionship and her counsel, and equally she values and she respects his leadership. And so the scripture identifies both in equally in the same way as a balance here. Also the fact that, that, that wives are to recognize and to uh, respect this authority is not just unique to them. The husbands are to submit themselves to Christ. Amen? And so there's an equal uh, uh, way that the, 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 the husbands are to submit themselves in the authority of Christ. But for, for the woman, this is a, is a big adjustment that she makes. She submits to him. In other words, she, she doesn't compete with him. She doesn't strive with him. She doesn't seek to take him out in any way. Despite what other, others may feel, whether that's a parents or friends or, or family, Peter was saying, this is something new. This is what marriage, New Testament marriage, should look like. Women, submit to your husbands. And so it's not necessarily meant, uh, meant to be the other way around. Listen to this story. There were two lines of husbands in heaven. One for the dominant husbands and one for the passive, submissive husbands. The submissive husband line extended almost out of sight. There was one man in the dominant husband line. He was small, timid appeared anything but a dominant husband. When the angel inquired as to why he was in the dominant husband line, he said, my wife told me to stand here. <laughs> well, check this one out. There was a man who came to a pastor once, and he attended church for 25 years, respected leader in the church, and he, and he said, Pastor, I've got something to tell you. I've never told this to a soul. Extremely difficult to tell you this now, but my wife and I have had a fight every day for the past 30 years of our marriage. Pretty intense. Pastor was taken back, didn't know really what to say, so playing for time, he gathered his thoughts and he said, every day? And the guy said, yes, every day. Well, did you today before you came to church? Yes. Well, well how did it end up? Well, she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. Well, what did she say, the pastor said? She said, come out from under that bed, you coward, and fight like a man. <laughs> I've been laughing about this one for a little few days. Now, how many of you can probably see that this is not necessarily the way that it should be in a marriage? I hope not, anyway. And so Paul says that every one of you love your wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverences and she respects her husband. And so as long as this happens, Paul is saying that there will be no risk to disputes of, you know, position or, or status or rights. Paul is talking about a man being given headship, yes. But because he loves his wife as himself, he never abuses his position. You see the difference? It's motivated by love. And so here is a woman who's, yes, submitting herself, just as Paul says, 
but she never has the need of being afraid, of course, of being taken advantage of or being trodden upon. Husband and wife are both dealt with equally in these scriptures. They're treated uh, both the same. And so the balance is perfect. And so these are the clear roles that are to be expect, expected in any Bible-based marriage. And so this is teaching that needs to be applied, of course, practically. I'm coming to a close here. but So within marriage, you remember we identified earlier on that each of you have been given unique gifts. Yes? You've been given unique skill sets that are to complement one another, personalities that are not to compete with one another, but to complete one another. You are both different. There are different gifts and skills that you have that they don't have, and ones that they have that you don't have. And so this is where, of course, the partnership works together. When we consider traditional marriage, when we think of that, often we might think of the idea that women uh, might, should be responsible for the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry, while the man is at work, you know, um, earning the fam- family income. Now, Scripture does highlight some things to do with this, that, the, that, um, that outside the home, this is man's primary area to work, talks about how the, the home is the center of woman's activity in raising the kids. But the Bible is not just some law book. I just want to put this to you, is that the Bible is not just some law book that says it has to be a certain way. And so Scripture highlights that, um, uh, that, that, for example, the management of money and finance. What about that? This is one of those that sometimes causes a little bit of friction and tension in a relationship. This is a big deal in, mar- in marriage and, and must be handled correctly. However, some women may be more gifted in the area of finances than men. Any women say amen to that? All right, there's too many there, okay. And so if a couple are agreed, oh yes, and the husband uh, ultimately has final responsibility, of course, in this area, it might be better for the woman to keep care of the family finances so long as they are agreed. Uh, Sunday school teacher was trying to demonstrate the difference between right and wrong. All right, children, let's take an example, she said. If I were to go into a man's pocket and take his wallet with all his money, what would I be? A child in the back answered, you'd be his wife. (laughs) Anyway, some men may be better at cooking than their wives. Oh, I've said it now. And so... As long as a couple are agreed, there's no reason, of course, why uh, the men can't take responsibility in this department. Good luck to you men. But anyway, it might be the case that sometimes, for various reasons, a couple might, to, might have to temporarily change the way they, they operate uh, in the home. Because maybe a husband is pursuing an education, and of course he's not able to serve in some of these areas in, in the relationship. Or maybe a woman... Um, has to take the role of being, being able to be the, the primary provider because maybe there's a, something happening with the husband, maybe it's a physical disability or whatever. But all of these variables, they don't change the pattern of, uh, of what Paul is talking about and talking about setting out uh, the, the pattern for husbands and wives. Couples must dedicate themselves in seeking to follow this biblical pattern of headship and Submission in the best way possible through, of course, agreement and unity. This is so important. But according to Paul, the most important thing, we've looked at a number of things and looked at some number of verses here. The most important thing in a relationship is to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. 
if a husband and wife are, you know, are, are together in considering him, uh, you know, their relationship is one that will prosper and grow. If they consider him as being the most important person in the relationship, that relationship will probably grow and prosper. Amen? In other words, that the headship of the husband will be the same as the headship of Christ over the church, who gave himself for her. This is what Jesus did for us. He died for us. He nourishes and cherishes her. He lives for her. He intercedes for her. His concern is that she may be glorious, wonderful, and spotless, and blameless. And so this is the secret to ever be looking at Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at that heavenly pattern for your relationship together. And so the principle of success in, in marriage is this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Husbands, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This, says Paul, is the secret to living, you know, a happy, fulfilled, and long-lasting marriage relationship. God bless you. Yeah.